Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with author, speaker, thinker, ex-executive, and communications coach, Jay Williams. He has proven expertise in creating alignment amongst leaders and executives to ensure clarity of values, company culture, strategic priorities, and key business metrics. He is a student of human behavior and leadership, and his track record, consulting, and writing offer a lifetime of insight. Jay is the author of the book, The V's That, Better Thinking, Better Choices, Better Leader, and Leave Your Mark, The Thinking Skills and Behaviors of Influencers. He's a frequent speaker at industry events. His warm, humorous, and sometimes irreverent style engages audiences to shift their thinking. He's a great interview. Enjoy this discussion. So first and foremost, Jay, it's great to meet you. I am excited to get into your life as an author, speaker, thinker, ex-executive, communication coach. You're a, you're a renaissance man, and before we get to all of those facets that make up who you are, I want to know how you survived COVID. The last three years did a little ditty on all of us in its own unique way, and I'm curious how you survived it and how it's changed the way that not only you live your life, but you conduct business now. Boy, I thought you were going to start off with easy questions. I, I would say with COVID is I, I just realized early on Everybody was experiencing it, and, you know, at a different degree. And you, for me, I had to make a choice about how I was going to respond to it. And so very quickly, I just I focused on what was good, and I just made sure to keep an inventory of that. And, you know, in the beginning, it was hard to find. The primary thing was is that I didn't have it. And so um, that was the first thing is, you know, kind of where is my health. So I was grateful for that. Uh, that set the tone. And I think everybody can relate to it. We're all financially impacted. And, you know, me specifically, I had a company. I have two partners, and all orders stopped. We, we produced private label product. And then this work with the speaking, you know, everybody called and, Honestly, they were good enough. So we're going to cancel for the rest of the year. So imagine that was in February, right, 2020. So I almost had a good indication for the rest of the year that there wouldn't be income off of that. And then my wife was a headhunter and a recruiter. So I think that's self-explanatory. So one of the things, you know, it, it, arguably we live in the greatest country in the world is that financially – there was some there was some augmenting of that. So I knew my health, you know, I, I looked at that and as long as I was good there, um, I, I focused on that. And, you know, as long as I had food to eat, you know, it's just like food, water, shelter. And so that's really it. I didn't have an overly sophisticated approach to it. I was just going to take inventory every day of what was good. And what I found was um, it could always be worse somewhere else. And my situation wasn't what I wanted. However, it wasn't a dire situation. And so from there, I, I just began to um, just to evolve, even professionally. And so it became very exciting to me because I think like everybody, we had to get really, really creative during that period of time. And so for, for people who are listening and yourself, you know, the most important thing was to keep connected with people. And so I did a lot of pro bono work, you know, on Zoom calls, uh, Microsoft Teams, uh, really offering with no compensation a way to connect with people and to continue for me at least to, to contribute in some way. 
So it's a long-winded answer, but I just quickly looked at my health, I looked at my financial situation, and then can I still contribute in some way and was able to find a way to do that. So let me pause. How close did I come to answering that question? You you nailed it, and I think that you kind of threw a blanket over some things that give me a better window into who you are, and to get to a more specific point, I'm going to hypothetically put you in front of a bunch of third graders at a career day, and one of the <laughs> okay, they're going to look up and they're going to ask you, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? What I do is to help people get the desired outcome that they want out of their relationships with people. So if it was a third grader, I would work with your teacher so that she can have the best relationship with you. If I was working with you, I would help you so that you could get and have the best relationship with your schoolmates, with your teacher, with your parents. And the way that I do that is by helping people with the way that they think and the way that they speak. And so it would be what they say and how they say it and when they say it. And so my primary role is via communication, teaching people to listen better and ask questions better, that they can enhance the relationships that they have in their life. That's so hard. I've never had to do it for a third grader before. They're not my paying, right. like paying audience. Not yet. One day they will be. Exactly. you got to groom them early. So, yes. Uh, so what did you want to be in the third grade? What was your dream when you grew up? You know, I had no idea. I mean, you know, you think back to when we were growing up, there's a couple of different strategies with costumes, right? Basically, it's a superhero or it was what you want to grow up to be. So people dressed as a doctor or a businessman or a nurse or right, someone in the military. And I grew up in L.A. And, you know, honestly, you know, we're poor. We're on welfare. We're just trying to get by, you know what I mean? And I only knew of a handful of professions, and they certainly didn't know that what I do today existed. And so I honestly had no idea. And uh, for anybody listening, maybe you can relate to this. I think I was probably maybe late 30s, maybe 37 or so, before I got this window and this clarity of, hey, I, I think I'm good at this. The, the feedback that I'm getting is, is good. I derive satisfaction out of this. Others that I interact with derive satisfaction out of it. And if I could get paid to do this, this is a great, great way to make a living and to live a life and to make a difference. So I had no idea. I mean, if you said, you got to give me an answer. I was a Laker fan. I knew I wasn't tall enough or good enough to be a basketball player. I wanted to be a, a, an agent for a basketball player. <laughs> that, that's, that's the only cool. job that came to mind. Yeah, it didn't yeah. happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> well, but we got a dream, you know, and all of those. Obviously, you're a highly driven and motivated person. So take me back to your initial seeds in life. Like, how did you get these seeds of motivation to grow into who you are today? It, uh, I think early on, I can articulate it now in hindsight. I certainly couldn't at the time. I just realized that there were a lot of people going through the exact same thing in my neighborhood and growing up. And so, you know, not, not to pull at anyone's heartstrings, but 
you know, my mom was married four times. She wasn't married to my father. But that was common, you know, and where I grew up. And as I looked, the exact same things were happening to people. The way they responded to it heavily influenced what their life looked like and what the outcome was. And so that's one thing I would say is if at some reason at an early age, it's like, well, why are some people succeeding where others aren't? And so even not even consciously, but some level, I got, oh, there's a choice they made to de- determine what was going on. And the other thing is, I, I would say, you know, when you look at the two greatest human motivators, I, I think everyone would agree and, and, and the science has supported it, that's avoidance of pain and pursuit of pleasure are the two greatest motivators. And uh, I wanted to avoid the situation that I grew up in with money, with relationships, um, the way I live. And so at a very early age, I moved out when I was 16. I actually didn't finish high school and uh, moved out in 11th grade. And just very early on, um, you know, listen, I work like other people work. I work hard, you know, I, I try to be smart and educate myself, but I, I can't make light of I had some good fortune along the way and I was blessed. So I wouldn't make light of that. That put me in the opportunity very early. I mean, as early as 17 to be in management um, at a retail level. You know, I wasn't running a Fortune 500 company or anything. But in any event, you know, just the desire to, to work hard and to be better uh, presented that, that opportunity. And so very quickly I, I saw what uh, – being smart, and for anyone who's listening, I'm not talking about traditional college education. I'm just talking about educating yourself and being a lifelong learner. I, I've met plenty of people in my life that have no formal education, and they rank among the smartest people that I've ever met. And what they have in common is that they're always learning. They can learn from anyone, and they implement what they learn. And so it's a long-winded answer. It, it happened gradually, and then all of a sudden, let me just stop there. That's how it, you know, it came about that this this motivation in, in this um, drive, and I began to reap some of the rewards of it. So um, I talked about the avoidance of pain that may have kicked it off, but the pursuit of pleasure, some of the things that I derived out of satisfaction in the relationships I was having and the work that I was doing, um, that became a motivator that, uh, you know, I became addicted to it. I wanted more of that. And I, and I enjoy helping people and leaving them in a better place than I found them at an early age. For Maybe some of it was intuitive. A lot of it, you know, I certainly believe that you can learn, you know, when you look at emotional intelligence specifically. Helped me there. So let me pause there. Sorry, that felt like a yeah, monologue. Yeah. yeah, no, you're good. So who's been a role model for you in your life or a hero? There have been people that have had isolated contributions. I I don't have someone that I could specifically refer to. So, you know, I mentioned that the relationship I had growing up. So some people traditionally have a father figure in the home or, or someone like that or an older sibling. So I didn't have that traditional uh, role model. I, um, yeah, I don't know how old your audience is, but I grew up watching TV and those people became my role models. So, you know, as early on as watching James Bond, 
I, I watched his speech pattern. I watched the way he dressed. I watched the way people responded to him. Um, I, I watched shows like The Love Boat, but I was watching for a different reason. I just want to see how someone interacted socially, how people responded to them, what they liked about things and uh, about people. And one of the things I noticed early on, uh, people were drawn to people's vocabulary. I was as well, is that when somebody had a vocabulary that was uh, it was clear, it was concise, it was compelling. I wasn't looking for verbosity, but just they could say a few things and, and, and people listened. And so I will tell you that um, TV, movies, heavily influenced what I thought somebody who could be a contributor would be. And so, you know, I had some traditional uh, athletes that, you know, I am a fan. I mean, Magic Johnson's my all-time. I don't know that he served as a, a role model for me. I read a lot. I read a great I read a great deal. And so that's what I mean. There's some individual contributors, you know, that I read along the way that said things that transformed the way that I think. But I don't have a traditional individual like some people have had who served as a mentor uh, throughout their life. I mean, I'm a faith-based guy, and so there's a lot of congruencies in what I say and what I do and what my faith is and my belief. Is. And so for anybody who's listening to a faith-based person and that faith is based in Jesus, that would heavily influence uh, my principles on leadership, how I treat people, uh, what I value in life, uh, whether I feel as though it's my role to judge, which I don't. I'm just here to help. Let me pause there. So that would be yeah. my response. Yeah, yeah. So what was the first book you ever read that really opened the curtains for you that made you really want to read more? So the first book, uh, so they get into heaven, right? Let's just say it's the Bible, okay? In case this comes up in Judgment Day. Um, the, the first book that I read that really began to transform my thinking was a book called The Speed of Trust, and it was written by Stephen Covey. And in the book, this trust, like, was a word that just everybody kind of bantered around and casually used. And, you know, I guess what transformed my thinking is it's, it's a currency in which we operate off of. And I saw foundationally where I had tight relationships. Even from a professional standpoint, there's a high level of trust. And in my personal relationships, the same thing. And where the relationships weren't maximizing whatever they could be, there's a low level of trust. And so his definition of trust, which is really, you know, a combination of character and competence, character being intent, why do you do something integrity? Do you do what you say you're going to do? And then competence, you know, um, capabilities, can you do it? And results, have you done it? Became a tremendous filter for me to process in life, not only as a leader and as an executive, but as a father, you know, my interaction with my boys or my wife or people socially. And so there's, there's seven books that sit to the right of me at all times that I constantly reach out for and constantly reference. And foundationally, that was a piece. And, and, and because I realized you could talk about any other topic, it becomes irrelevant if you foundationally don't have trust in a relationship. 
So that that was the book that if, if somebody was listening and they're looking for a first book to read that would have universal applicability, that would be the book, Speed of Trust. It's Stephen Covey Jr. By the way, some people might know his father from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I think the Eighth Habit. But this was actually his uh, his son. Cool. Yeah, I, I know him well, yeah. So what's been one of the best client responses, best fan letters you've ever received? You know, at the risk of um, – and please, for anyone who's listening, please take this in context because I do. People will come up either through reading the books or working through the, the workshops, and they will make this comment, you changed my life. And so my response always is, for the better or the worse, before <laughs> before I um, respond to you. And so, uh, you know, my immediate response is, you know, what part of your life became better because of, you know, the conversations that were had? And what they shared is it's their ability to acknowledge and question in life. And there's a tendency for human beings to think more than ever now because our souls and our we're just challenged through identity choices and, and political choices and religious choices and what goes on and on. To shift their thinking to consider the perspective of others, I think we're very inclined to, to process up our own perspective and to lead conversations. So you think of any political conversation, you're very quick to state your opinion, anyone you've talked to, right? Or, or religious beliefs, or even whether you get the vaccination or identity choices or same-sex marriage. I mean, it just goes on and on. It starts off with, let me tell you what I'm thinking. And the change has been is to seek out the other person's perspective first and, and sharing with them that the most effective communicators communicate from the other person's perspective. And that's been the, the takeaway that's changed their life. So whether they're interacting with their child or they're interacting with their boss, people who report to them or, or even friends, is just starting any conversation off with a question versus a statement. And it's, it's just helped to um, diffuse, you know, certainly any potential conflict that may exist. But I think unequivocally is that they realize when you ask a question, it leads people to believe that you care. And when people believe you care, they trust you. And so whether I've done it in a, in a sales organization or I've done it with a leadership organization or just even for people who use it in their, apply it in their personal life, they found that that strategy has been life-changing for them. And it just exponentially um, deepens the relationship, the conversation, the speed in which resolution comes about. You've done such a good job of encapsulating a lot of things that I really wanted to get and capture about who you are. And this, this, this is my next question for you. Everyone has a perception of you, your family, friends, clients, colleagues, but ultimately you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Wow, isn't it funny? Who do you think you are? It all depends on the inflection of your voice, right? <laughs> who do you think you are? Because Who my do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, it comes across completely, completely different. I, uh, you know, it's interesting that you say that because over the last two weeks, there's been with, with different people just this, this focus and this awareness. And it wasn't my epiphany. Um, there's a guy, Andy Stanley, who um, he's actually a pastor in Atlanta. 
and he, he crosses over, though, does a lot of leadership work. So people would have heard of him. But about three weeks ago, he's speaking. He said something very interesting. And I'm going to answer your question, by the way. Is he said that uh, your relationship with other people is not their relationship with you. And so the timing of your question is, um, I probably have a better answer now than I did three weeks ago. Because he said, you know, the relationship that a husband has with his wife is different than the wife has with the husband because she's a female, he's a male, right? There's some other social influences that go on. A uh, relationship a mother has with her daughter different than a daughter with um, her mom. A employer with the employee, right, because they have different filters. And so your question uh, is really timely as far as, you know, where my thinking has been. And my perception of myself, I think at some level, we try to influence people to have the perception you have of yourself for them to have it of you. And so maybe it's just me. What I would want people to perceive is that, one, I want to leave them in a better place than I found them, that they sense from the interaction from the very first moment to when we leave is that they have this feeling that I've left them in a better place than I found them. And it doesn't matter whether it's a customer service, someone I'm calling from my phone or a client that I'm interacting with or kids or friends. So my perception of myself is that I, I have an awareness of people and how they're responding real time to make the adjustment. And so I hope that's their perception. I would want people to say, and I, and I hope I'm answering your question, I'm actually processing out loud, is that I was smart, and smart because I don't think that I am smart, and I want to work towards that, uh, that they find me engaging, engaging into the point that I want to communicate from your perspective. I want you to feel as though that I'm asking the questions to understand what's most important to you, and I'm prioritizing what I share back in that order. So I'd say smart, engaging, and somewhat irreverent and funny. I mean, that, that's, that's the perception I want to have of myself and that people would say those things. How well did I answer that question? That's a great question. I was processing out loud. Yeah, no, that's great. No, you did great. So, Jay, if anyone out there wants to learn more about you and what you do, anything revolving around your world, where can they go? It's simple. They can go to the JWCO. Dot com. So T-H-E-J-W-C-O.com, and that will give you insight. And, um, you know, I've made it available to people that you can actually schedule a call. Uh, so uh, when you go there, just for anybody who's listening, there's two types of calls there, and I want you to pick the one that um, there's not an investment for you. Uh, I have something called exigency, E-X-I, exigency, T-N-C-Y. And what that is is that when there's a, a case or scenario that requires immediate conversation or solution, you can go on there and contact me. So quite often executives will do that. So if anybody sees the two, that's it. So if people have an immediate need, then they reach out that way. Um, there's an investment there. But there's also a way that you can make a call where there's not an investment. And I, I, I invite anybody for any reason 
um, to click one of those buttons. There's a there's a 15 minute uh, one there. Yeah, that you can just chat, and if there's something that's on your mind, or you think that I could add some value in some way to your thinking, I'd encourage you to do that. So, if you go uh, to LinkedIn, it's Jay Williams Co. You know any of the social media, but for the website, you can just go to the jwco.com. Cool. Jay, thank you for opening up. Thanks for your time. Best of luck with everything. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. I hope it was time well spent uh, for you and yeah. for your audience, too. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, and more from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. <laughs>